Well, I think it's obvious that Ron and I have great wives. And we married well, that's right. I was a bit like Cheryl was when I was in Mexico. Obviously, I didn't fit in very well there either, although I enjoyed it very much. In the first Bible talk that I led, I meant to say it's a sin to have sex if you're not married, but what I said was it's a sin to have sex if you're not tired. And uh, the... And later on in our fellowship, I began to believe that was true. But anyway, uh, the word for uh, tired is uh, cansado, and the word for married is casado. And so they're very similar. Anyway, for those of you, for the non-Spanish speakers here. But I, I can relate to your language challenges. I can, I've got many stories like that that I could share, but I... Uh, I do want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. It, it really does mean a lot. It's already been refreshing just to be in this beautiful setting, to see your spirit, uh, to get to even spend a little bit of time we did with Ron and Cheryl last night. We, we're so thankful for your lives and just appreciate you giving us the opportunity to be here. Uh, the Fuquays, the Quints, who uh, Barbara has just talked about you guys from Canada so much, and the Fuquays, we, just, we appreciate your faith and your friendship over the years uh, we, we feel very blessed. You know, Barbara and I, as uh, Ron said, we became empty nesters in August. Uh, even our dog and cat died this year. And so we are uh, really empty nesters. And uh, yeah, that was painful. That, that was. And uh, we, uh, this is our third marriage retreat uh, this fall. <laughs> that we have been to. It's kind of like God said, okay, time to do this. You know, you've been, we, you know, you've been so consumed with your kids and so consumed with uh, fixing yourselves and your churches. We want you to work on your marriage. And so we're very, very thankful for the opportunity to be here uh, with you. I wanted to tell you a little bit about our family. Uh, this is, uh, whoops, that is a picture of Barbara and me when we met in Boston in 1986. Uh, and that's when we were dating. And, and then uh, we started uh, going steady in April of 1987. In July of 1987, we moved to Mexico City. And a few months later, we got married in Mexico City. And so Mexico is a very special place to us. We got married there in Coyoacan and, and uh, you know, De Efe. And then we uh, had our honeymoon in Iztapa. And, and so uh, just very, very special memories. Uh, then we moved to Brazil. This is a, a mountainous part of Brazil called Campos do Jordão uh, near the city of Sao Paulo. We lived in Brazil for nine years. Uh, our kids were born in Brazil. Uh, and this is a, not a very clear picture, but a picture of our family. Our son Joseph on the left, he is 21. Now, this picture is four years old. Uh, Joseph is a senior at Harvard. And our daughter Jacqueline is 19, and she is a freshman at uh, Florida State University. And, and so we're, we're very uh, thankful for our family. Um, and, you know... Marriage is a challenge, and I say that as somebody who married a great woman who loves God. Uh, but we, 
and I know you all have your story. I'll just tell you a little bit right off the bat about ours. We have lived in 14 different places over our 23 years of marriage. Uh, That's been quite stressful at times. Um, Our kids had uh, serious health issues. Our son was diagnosed with a severe learning disability uh, when he was two and a half years old, which uh, required us to make an international move and put him in special schools. And ironically, yeah, he is a senior at Harvard now, so... Uh, there's a lot that's happened, but uh, uh, but we went through five years of special schools, and it, it was a lot of stress. And I don't, in those years, I don't even remember thinking much about our marriage. I mean, I lo- it was kind of like, hang on, you know? I mean, I, I loved uh, Barbara, and uh, I loved the church, and we were just trying to do our job and, you know, help our family. And, you know, there, we didn't really have one of these storybook, you know, uh, going out and really, you know, experiencing this kind of uh, romantic lifestyle that uh, I think sometimes we think and should have to some degree in marriage. Our daughter Jacqueline uh, was diagnosed with epilepsy, and so that. And I'm not trying to complain. I'm just. I'm just saying it's. It's. You know, marriage. It kind of took second seat in our house. It was the kids. The church, we loved each other. It's like, I'll see you when we're empty nesters. You know, let's, and I'm, uh, this is sort of a confession, but it's a little bit true. Um, with a, and, and yet we loved God. We're committed to each other. I, I can tell you, Barbara never considered divorce. Uh, murder, yes, but divorce, the woman never, ever considered. And... That is a true statement. That's not a joke. You can laugh, but... She's from an Italian family. I won't won't go into that, but anyway, uh, you know, we... uh... (laughs) But, But I say all this to say that, you know, really, you can go through incredibly stressful times and make it through that. And God's desire is that you make it through that. And I know there are people here from many different uh, stages. We've met newlyweds last night, and they, they just, they were bubbling, you know, they're like, and I, you know, some of you have been married probably 40 years, and you, you know, you're like, okay, this is my 48th marriage retreat, and I, you know, I, I know the drill, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, Genesis 2, can you read them? I want to get up to the room, you know, and uh, that may be sort of what you're thinking. Uh, and and I won't comment on what you're going to do in the room, but, you know, uh, but let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Speaking of that, uh, and I would like to say, you know, I think marriage is one of those areas where five minutes of obedience is worth four years of study. I think Christianity in general is like that, but I think particularly marriage, I I would doubt we would present many major concepts, if any, that are brand new to most of you. And yet, hopefully, we'll be able to share things that might motivate you to obey those concepts that we're going to present today. And, and that, that is our desire, and, and to really get us, 
Um, and I want to talk, we're going to talk about God's plan for marriage. And I'm not going to read the whole thing right now, but in Ephesians 5, let's, let's just read verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You know, first of all, the Bible says we'll leave our father and mother and be united to our wife, and the two become one. That, that, what that's saying there is we're going to be glued together. I mean, you're, you're stuck together. God, God's plan is that two people become inseparably stuck together. And that you, you can't divide in God's plan a man from his wife any more than you can divide Christ from the church. That's what the Bible's teaching here. Thick and thin, difficulty, health issues, a lot of stress, a lot of moves. God's plan is that you stay together. But the other thing we see here, it says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You know, he, he's saying there's something bigger going on here than just our human marriages when we get married. God chose marriage to be the example of the relationship between Christ and the church. In other words, when people look at your marriage and my marriage, God wants them to understand Christ and the church. I mean, and when we mess with our marriages and we don't shine, we don't, we're not what God called us to be, and we're not obedient to his principles, to his commandments, we're, we're messing with the universe. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. This is a profound mystery. This weekend, there's something much more deeper going on than people coming together saying, well, I want to get closer, and I want to be more romantic, and, and I, want to, I want to be happier. That's not really God's agenda here. God's agenda for this retreat according to the word of God, is that we go out from here and we're able to be a better witness to this world of how much Jesus loves the church and how much the church gains by respecting and honoring Jesus. So your, your, little, your marriage, you may think, well, I, you know, I don't, yeah, it'd be great if it were better, but you know, we're married. God has something much bigger in mind. That's what I wanted to communicate right from the beginning. His plan is that our marriages evangelize, if you will, the world. That's the main analogy that he uses in the Bible to describe the relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage is special. Marriage is powerful. And marriage is a reflection of our relationship with God. You cannot be doing poorly in your marriage and be doing well with God. That's impossible. Now, maybe one, you can't control the other person, so I understand if they, if they but as far as your part goes, and doing what God has told you as the husband or you as the wife to do, if you are not doing that part, it is messing up your relationship with God. That's the way God designed things. You can't categorize and separate. Well, I love God, but my marriage is lousy. Or I'm, a, I'm not a good husband, but I'm a great disciple. Not true. It, it can't be that way. Your marriage is a reflection 
of your relationship with God and as well as mine. Let me say this. God did not create marriage for our own personal happiness. Now, we're more hesitant to say amen about that. Like, can I say amen about that, Ron? You know, he didn't create it. It's an illustration on a human level of a divine relationship. He didn't create, you know, I want to be happy, and we get married to be happy, and that's a huge mistake. It really is. You can't say, because you go into it, this is the man that's going to rescue me, my knight in shining armor. They played that at my wedding, too. That's all right. This is the woman of my dreams, and I'm going to be happy. You know, single people, they really think this. And the only way your marriage partner can make you happy is if they help you in your relationship with God. You see, human happiness is found only in a relationship with God. It's not not intended to be found in marriage. And you may need to think about that a little bit. But marriage is incredibly important. But there are... Not just to have a good marriage, and we think I'm going to have a good marriage, I'm going to have a good family, it's going to be really, we're going to have a lot of happiness, that's what I want to do. That's not what God has in mind. God wants us to have an impact on the world. That's why he wants us to have a great marriage. There's something spiritual going on. You know, the first institution God created was marriage. Before he created governments, before he created the church, before he created families, he created marriage. I mean, right from the beginning, God created marriage. This is special. This is powerful. The first miracle of Jesus was at a wedding. Marriage is, a, is the barometer of the measure of godliness of a culture. If you want to know a culture's godliness, you look at the marriages. God wants to show all the world how much Jesus loves the church. And he wants to show the whole world how the church ought to treat Jesus. That is the purpose of marriage. So don't just think this is something about your household. This is much bigger, much more significant, much more important. Let me say this. God's plan is not natural. God's plan is powerful, but God's plan is not natural for us as fallen, sinful human beings. He created it this way, but after the fall, everything God intended got corrupted. And so it's not natural. And here we are today trying to recreate what God intends for our marriages. But it's not natural at all. Is it natural to obey Ephesians 5, verse 22, where the Bible says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Whoa! Is that natural? I mean, don't raise your hand, but do we have a woman here who just... Piece of cake! That's God's plan. And... And unless you think, wow, man, we got the hard job, look at what the guys have to do. 
in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, that would be challenging. Just as Christ loved the church. What? Are you kidding me? He died on the cross. He, I mean, he came here. He didn't get married. He didn't own anything. He never traveled more than 200 miles. He didn't go to college. He didn't do any of the things we aspire to. He didn't, he didn't go on vacation. He didn't do anything. He didn't play golf. I said that because there are 200,000, 200 golf courses, right? 200, whatever. And because Marty Fuquay's on the front row. But anyway, you know, but just giving him a hard time. But God expects husbands to love wives, and God expects wives to respect husbands. And I can say, a man, I can say for me, and I, but countless studies have shown this. A man would prefer to be respected than loved. I mean, if you, if you don't love me, like if you forget my birthday, you know, sometimes female relatives tell me, oh, I forgot your birthday. And I'm like, that's not a problem. Because <laughs> I mean, in my mind, it's like, it'll be okay when I forget yours. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I never get mad at people when they forget my birthday. Or, but if you disrespect me, <laughs> if you tell me, you know, you, you, you just, you, you're not really doing a great job. Or you, you, you don't know where you're going. Or you, I want to tear your head off. I mean, that's me. So this is difficult. And I wanted to show you a, a video clip of, uh, it's a seven-minute clip. I think it'll, uh, I know some of you have probably seen this, but it illustrates just how different men and women are. Let me show you this clip. Okay, so now, <laughs> we're going to start discussing men's brains, women's brains, and how they're very different from each other. Now, I want to start with men's brains. All right, now men's brains are, are very unique. Men's brains are made up of little boxes. And we have a box for everything. We've got a box for the car. We've got a box for the money. We've got a box for the job. We've got a box for you. We've got a box for the kids. We've got a box for your mother somewhere in the basement. We've got, we got, we, we got boxes everywhere. And, and the rule is the boxes don't touch. <laughs> When a man discusses a particular subject, we go to that particular box, we pull that box out, we open the box, we discuss only what is in that box. All right? And, and, and then we close the box and put it away being very, very careful not to touch any other boxes. 
Sorry, my Catholic upbringing got in there for a minute, but I... <laughs> I'm not a Catholic, but I went to Catholic school when I was little. I, I had a nun who taught on hell like she was born and raised there. I mean, I'll never forget it, but... Uh... <laughs> it did me good, actually. It was a good thing. Now, women's brains are very, very different from men's brains. Women's brains are made up of a big ball of wire. And everything is connected to everything. The money's connected to the car, and the car's connected to your job, and your kids are connected to your mother, and everything's connected to everything. And it's like... It's like the internet superhighway. Okay? And, and it's all driven by energy that we call emotion. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons why women tend to remember everything. Because if you take an event and you connect it to an emotion, it burns in your memory and you can remember it forever. The same thing happens for men. It just doesn't happen very often because, quite frankly, we don't care. Uh, Women tend to care about everything. And she just loves it. <laughs> okay. Now men, we have a box in our brain that most women are not aware of. This particular box has nothing in it. In fact, we call it the nothing box. And of all the boxes a man has in his brain, the nothing box is our favorite box. If a man has a chance, he'll go to his nothing box every time. That's why a man can do something seemingly completely brain dead for hours on end. You know, like fishing. <laughs> and, and, and we love it. That's, that's why a guy can sit in front of a TV and go, Hello. 
Rosa. Of course, this drives our wives nuts because they'll come up and say, Stop up! You can't possibly be watching anything! I'm not. Go away. Now they've actually measured this. The University of Pennsylvania a couple of years ago did a study and discovered that men have the ability to think about absolutely nothing and still breathe. <laughs> you know, they connected all the wires and stuff like that and watched the brain activity, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> I think he's dead! Huh? <laughs> you know. Women can't do it. They can't do it. Their minds never stop. <laughs> and, and they don't understand the nothing box! And it drives them crazy! Because nothing drives a woman more crazy or makes her feel more irritated than to witness a man doing nothing! Right. We are different men and women. And, you know, it's interesting to consider, well, wh why did God do that? Wh why did he make us so different? Because he could have, you know, what, it seems like he could have made us a little more compatible in these emotional areas. But, you know, God has something greater in mind. And we can either embrace that and we can say, okay, I'm going to honor God and the fact that I'm created, that I'm different than my wife, and God wants me to not be this naturally selfish person, but to really deny myself and love her, and that's going to give him honor, and that somehow is going to change the universe. We can embrace it like that, or we can fight it. And we can say, why is she like that? Why can't she just let me be selfish? And, and, and a woman, you know, can, can begin to think that, well, why... Why can't he just love me more and, 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 and begin to think that the path to getting that love is to nag him? And I want to remind you, the whole context here of Ephesians chapter 5 is being filled with the Spirit. And it says that in Ephesians 5 verse 18. You know, it says we are to be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, some people do that. They honestly do that when they have marriage problems. They get drunk. Well, the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. We look for outlets when the marriage isn't going well. And the Bible's, the Bible's solution to these spiritual challenges that we face, and God has placed them before us, but God's not unaware. He didn't make a mistake. It's His beautiful design for the church to be glorified, His name to be lifted up when we deny ourselves and fulfill the roles that he created us for. You know, since the fall, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. In Genesis 3 and verse 16, the Bible says about the woman, your desire will be for your husband. 
Now, I've always, I used to read that verse and I go, that sounds nice. Why is this a curse? <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, you'll have pain in childbirth and your desire will be for your husband. I understand the pain part, but what about the day? I don't get that. Well, what it really means, that verse really means is your desire will be for your husband's job. For his role. Most women naturally want to lead, and as we just saw, most men naturally want to be left alone. And so we've got this vicious cycle going on. Women trying to get love by demanding, complaining, nagging. And that's the best idea they've come up with. It's not a biblical idea, and it won't work. You know that. And then men trying to get respect by getting angry. Has that ever worked? Why do we keep doing that? My sin, my, my sinful nature, the, the, the main thing I struggle with is anger. And I've never gotten angry at Barbara or my children, or anybody, but especially Barbara or my children, and had a positive result come from it. Never once in 23 years of marriage have I gotten angry and then left said, that was the right thing to do. <laughs> and then Barbara returned and said, I, thank you for, I feel so loved, now I want to respect you. <laughs> so we've got this vicious cycle going on in our homes. You will get her to respect you by loving her. And you will get him to love you by respecting him. And if you wait on the other party to do the right thing, you will wait a long time in many cases. See, God's plan also helps us come face to face with our sinful natures and grow spiritually. He's, he's got something bigger in mind here. God wants us to be holy more than he wants us to be happy. And in the context of marriage, it's like a training center for self-denial and forgiveness. And these are two themes that Jesus talked about perhaps more than any other themes. The need to deny ourselves, and this is a good thing for us, and the need to forgive. What more Christ-like thing can we do to be like Jesus than to forgive? And we're going to talk about that in the second class today. You see, God's plan for marriage helps us come face to face with our sinful nature. God's plan is simple. But few follow this plan, and the consequences are devastating. In our society, they are devastating. But in the church, they are devastating as well. We're in a crisis because this plan is not followed. We have men not, not leading Princes not loving, and, and women taking control. What's going on in the church? We have people getting separated, people ex coexisting in their marriages, calling a truce, not helping one another, not thriving, and kids that see this, and they don't respect God because they don't see a marriage that is following God's plan. This is rampant, this is serious, and this is a problem. And I, I just want us to see, as we open up here today, the power that is at our disposal if we put God's plan into practice. 
And it's so simple. Husbands, love your wives. Women, respect your husband. And I'm going to talk about husbands loving their wives for a few minutes, and then Barbara's going to come up and talk about wives respecting their husbands. And we wanted to do it together because it's good to hear what we're all being challenged on. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, it's interesting. We're not commanded to lead, but to love. And as Christ loved the church. Now, I I just got to ask us, are we really trying to do that, brothers? Are we really striving to love our wives as Christ loved the church? I mean, who's really going? I mean, thinking about it like there. Have we just settled and felt, I'm doing a pretty good job with that? Or we said, well, it's impossible, and I've kind of given up. We just, uh, you know, we're okay. We're kind of like two brothers hanging out. You know, we're fine. We're friends. But I'm serious. Are we really? I think we've read read this verse so many times. We're not enamored by it anymore. We don't see the power in it. We don't see what, what would be unleashed in the church, in our families, in our communities. If we really just decided to strive, we'll never get there completely. But if we really, really just decided, I'm going to take this commandment seriously. It would do so much for us. You know, it reminds me of a a story that I want to read you. It's a story told of a disgruntled husband whose name was Joe. And he was ready to end his three-year marriage. But since he was so angry with his wife, he wanted not only to leave her, but to hurt her as well. So Joe visited a psychologist and sought a professional opinion as to how he could most severely hurt his wife. The wise counselor sized up the situation and gave this advice. Here's the perfect solution. Go home and start treating your wife like a goddess. Give her your undivided attention. Take her out to eat, help her around the house, compliment her every move, and treat her just like a queen. Do this for two months, then just pack your bags and walk out. When you leave her after treating her so well, she will literally crumble. Joe thought it was a wonderful scheme. He put it into practice as soon as he got home. For two months, he gave his wife the best he had to offer. After this eight-week setup, the marriage counselor called Joe and asked, Well, did she crumble when you left? Joe shot back, Are you kidding? I wouldn't leave this woman for the world. I now have the best marriage a man could want. My wife is a goddess. The marriage counselor hung up the phone with the satisfaction that he had accomplished what he had set out to achieve quote-unquote, sweet revenge. When a spouse treats a mate like a prized treasure, the result is a beautiful and fulfilling marriage. I, I find that I tend to wait on Barbara. And I, I think our tendency is to wait on the other person to take it high, but we're called to take the lead in this, brothers. You know, 
husbands love your wives, what does that mean? It's a constant love. It's in the present tense. It's not to do it one time or to do it occasionally. Love your wife. It's a constant thing that we are called to do. Number two, it's a decision love. It's not based on emotion. The word here is agape, and many of you know that, but it's not based on, it's not phileo. It's not talking about being a friend to your wife. It's not eros. It's not talking about being romantic to her. It's not based on friendship. You know, uh, Gary Chapman talks about the two stages of love and how for the first two years in marriages, really, they, can, they thrive kind of on that romantic eros love. That's the average. And then after that, really, that, that's not there anymore, uh, naturally. It has, to be, it has to be created. And we can't thrive on, on our emotions in our marriages. We are called to a decision love that is irregardless of how we feel. It's voluntary. Society will not demand this of you. In our society, it's easier to get a divorce than it is to get out of a used car loan. That's the truth. Society will not, most churches will not demand this of you. This is what we, only God calls us to this. And so the only pressure put on us is from God. The purpose of doing this is to make her holy. It's not to have a happy home. It's not so that we have things go well in the house. That's certainly a side benefit. But the Bible says in verse 26, it's to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing, by, by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church. What's it talking about here? We're to love our wives spiritually. We are to teach them the Word of God. Our goal is for them to be close to God and to experience the benefits of a strong relationship with God. We are to be the spiritual leader. Yes, this is challenging, but let me remind you, that's why we're to be filled with the Spirit. We're not designed to do this on our own. It's impossible. We're not designed to do this without a lot of prayer, without a lot of getting into God's Word. We're not designed to do that without an investment of spiritual energy. But that's good for us because when our marriages aren't going well, it's a sign to us, I need to be closer to God. When we're not doing our part and we find ourselves unable or unwilling to lead our wives spiritually and to share scriptures with them and to pray with them and and to help them and to be a good listener and to deny her, when we find ourselves that those things are impossible or incredibly difficult, it's just a sign to us You need to be closer to God. When I'm not close to God, I'm angry. When I'm not close to God, I'm unforgiving. When I'm not close to God, I'm anxious. And I may be wired a little bit different than some of you, but everybody has their things that just come out. And I know I'm stating the obvious, but in the context, there's nothing like your marriage to mirror your relationship with God. Nothing. It is your best friend to know where you are. We search books. We search the script. Look at your marriage. First Peter three, verse seven. First Peter three, verse seven. Very 
I'm going to share from this verse, and Barbara's going to come up and share with the women. 1 Peter 3, verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious, gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. What does it mean to be considerate of our wives? What, what that's talking about, we should become a student of our wives. We should know her. We should be an avid student of our wives. A husband cannot be passive. We, we, have to, we can't be indifferent. We, we need to study what they are like. God gave us our wives, and, and they're unique, and, and they're created in a certain way. And yes, there's women are a certain way, and men are a certain way, but then you have your variations of women and your variations of men, and men are called to study their wives so that they know what makes them tick. So that they know, so they know, as the common book says, their love language. Now, my wife, Barbara, her love language is acts of service. She, she likes to be served. You know, in my sinful nature, I wish she had another love language. <laughs> I mean, why can't it be g- gifts? You know, some women, they want their husband to buy them gifts. Take them out to dinner. You know, I always read these books. Make your wife feel special. Take her out to dinner. Barbara doesn't like to be taken out to dinner. She says, we don't have the money to go out to dinner. But I want to go out to dinner. <laughs> she wants things that don't cost anything. I don't mind spending money, honey. I keep trying to change her love language. And she goes, she likes for me to massage her feet. You know, late at night, after a tough day, and I'm tired, and I'm wanting to veg. Would you give me a foot massage? I'm like, can't we go out to dinner tomorrow? You know. Can't. That's what... And I've learned if I, to make her, but you've got to study. And, you know, when we lived in Brazil, I, I haven't, many times I've not done this well, but one thing I did that she really appreciated, and I'm not a musical person, but I wrote a song for my wife. And I sang it to her on her birthday at the Women's Day in Sao Paulo, Brazil, in front of 500 women in Portuguese. She felt love. And that took an incredible amount of self-denial on my part. It was somewhat humbling. But, and I haven't done that since, by the way, uh, at least not that specific thing. I was telling a friend of mine, yeah, when I sang it, she cried. And he said, yeah, if, if you'd sang that to me, I would have cried too. You know, but anyway. Uh, but what I'm saying, you know, if we would dare men to do things like that. Not even want to do things like that daily. But if we would dare to, to show them love. 
in a special way that we know they would uniquely appreciate. We're talking changing the chemistry of the universe here. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. You know, you, we're talking having an impact on our children, having an impact on our Bible talk, having an impact on our neighborhoods, having an impact on our uh, in-laws, extended family. You see, and, and the Bible says here, so be considerate. That means to know her, study her, and then to act on what will uniquely make her feel special. That's what we're called to do. And then it says, it says, as you live with your wives. Now, some of us are thinking, wow, at least I got that right. You know, we're... <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I know I'm giving the guys I'm a higher calling, you know. Please don't, don't elbow them too much, all right? Just... Don't want any rib injuries here. but <laughs> Live with her means more than sharing a house. It, it's uh, sharing emotions, sharing your spiritual struggles, sharing, obviously, your physical r relationships. But it, it's the little touches throughout a day and throughout a week that make a marriage. Somebody said chains do not hold a marriage together. Threads do. It's the little things we do. And over the years, we have a tendency to stop doing these things and take our wives for granted. Now, and then it says here, you know, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, not, not meaning that men are, or women are spiritually weaker or inferior. What that means is they are operating from a societal disadvantage in many ways, especially in the first century. And we are to honor them because of this societal disadvantage. It, it is more important that, that we do that. We're to treat them like a, you know, some, do, some doctors that do in, I had my hip replaced uh, earlier this year, and they did this special kind of hip replacement that wasn't as invasive, and they had this special table that cost thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I saw it as I came in the operating, went in the operating room, but it was a special instrument to do this surgery. Well, you know how they treat that, the doctor treats that table? This is a special, they don't take that table and do carpentry work on it. I mean, they don't take that table and, you know, just ride it down the street. That's a special $300,000 table that's going to make that hospital a lot of money and going to help a lot of people. And the doctor treat, well, that's what this is talking about. Honor. Treat them with respect. You honor them. And then... Just the last thing I wanted to say here in this context, to show you that when, I'm, when, I'm, when I say this, there's something bigger going on here. It says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wow. Have a good, treat your wife right so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And again, this emphasizes what, I've, what I'm trying to communicate above all. There's something deeply spiritual going on in our marriages. This is a startling conclusion to this verse that I want you to 
be considerate to your wives. I want you to live well. I want you to be close to them. I want you to treat them with honor. I want you to be delicate because there is a strong correlation between your relationship with God and your relationship with your wives. So God's plan for marriage is powerful. God's plans for marriage is not natural. It is simple. It's for husbands. Our part is to love our wives as Jesus loved the church. And I just want to remind you, five minutes of obedience in this is worth two years in a master's program in marriage counseling. And I appreciate counseling. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying obedience to this is what God is after, and God will bless us. And Barbara's going to come and share with, uh, talk to the women now. Well, I'm really thankful for God's plan because I don't believe I would still be married if it weren't for all the guidance from the scriptures, because I am definitely too prideful and overbearing and anxious and all kinds of things that I am in my sinful nature, and I have a wonderful husband who puts up with me. So, honey, I'm very grateful for you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to be taking a lot of what I talk about from a book that is called Love and Respect, and it's written by Emerson Egerix, if I'm saying that correctly. But um, he talks a lot about just this, this vicious cycle that, that we get in. And I do want to say, because I'm talking about submission and respect, what I'm going to be talking about may not apply in situations where there is abuse or some intense situation that may require outside help or intervention. I am, God never will teach a woman to submit to something that is dangerous or illegal. So I just want to say that right at the beginning. But, you know, um, it, it's true. There are several verses that we go to all the time in marriage, but I really think it's important that we understand God's heart, the, the way that God planned marriage, the way that he designed marriage, and it, and it was God. I mean, God made marriage. He handcrafted it. He thought it out. He planned it. He designed it. it. God did that before he did anything else, before he even made the church. And so I think it really is worth it, especially for us women, because we know, you know, now it's the submission respect part, and we don't get too fired up about that. And I really want us to get fired up about it. And I, and I really hope that we're going to learn not a new thing. We know, we've heard submission and respect, but I've learned some, some really new, interesting things um, about submission and respect. And I hope that, um, that we can all learn some, uh, some deeper insights together. So let's turn to, back to Ephesians 5 and let us read about... God's plan for marriage. And we're going to... I know the, the, the men love this part. They love... It's really... You know, yeah, I get so many amens, and they have deep bass voices. 
All right, Ephesians 5:21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Skip down to verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, first let's define some terms. You know, as we talk about submission and respect, and they're very intertwined and related, but submission, I believe, is more the act of allowing our husbands to take the leadership and, and being willing to follow, whereas respect is something more active that we do, that we, that we demonstrate. And we're going to focus on respect because that really encompasses submission. And now this is God's plan, plain and simple, right? Wives, submit to your husbands in everything. The wives must respect their husbands. And before we get again to, oh, why did we have to do this part again? You know, I was really looking forward to this really relaxing and, oh, I'm so convicted because I know I'm so bad at this. And this is hard. But, but how much do we really believe in God's plan? Like, how much do we really stop and think this is God's plan? This is the plan that was designed and thought about and handcrafted by the creator of the universe. And he proved that he wants what's best for us by allowing his son to die for us. Do we really think we have a better plan? I mean, it, it even sounds silly. Of course we don't have a better plan, but we resist God's plan and we buck God's plan. But it's God's plan. We need to embrace God's plan. And we are so bombarded by society's views and, 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 and feminism and all this stuff. I mean, you can't even watch a television show and find a woman who respects her husband. And, and worse than that, all the men are idiots on, on, on the TV shows. I mean, the, it's, 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 a total, it's, it's a totally satanic subversion, really, of God's plan. And we make fun of, of June Cleaver. Some of you probably don't even know who June Cleaver is. But we, she, that was Beaver's. You don't know who Beaver was either. Get it. But we, we really need to take some time and, and stop and think and really try to look at marriage through God's eyes. The way he started it, the way he planned it before soap operas, which glorify adultery before sitcoms, which bash men so badly. You know, God's, God's heart and intention. So where do we need to go? We need to go to Genesis 2. 
We need to go there to Genesis 2, verse 18, to the beginning of time, to perfection, the Garden of Eden, the way it was supposed to be, and God says the following in verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Let's skip to verse 21. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. This is God's plan, that the woman would be a suitable helper for the husband. This was perfection. Now, do you know what the word helper means? And some of you may know that the word helper is from the Hebrew word ezer or ezer. I don't know how to say it. But here's what I do know. It is the same word. That word helper, suitable helper, is the same word and even more and most often used to refer to God. God as our helper. God as our divine helper who rescues us from our troubles, delivers us from our distress. That is that word. That is not helper like, I'll, I'll, I'll help, you know, sweep up after dinner, and I'll help sew the button on your shirt. It's helper, like I am really there for you, and I am going to help you when you are really needing help. And as we know, we can't do it without God. There is a, something implied in that word helper that, that means we need help. We are not self-sufficient. And our husbands were not made to exist alone. They were made to need our help. But that's a strong help. That's an awesome help. That's a, that is a divinely inspired help. It's not a wimpy word. It's a powerful word. And, you know, I, I also want to say this, and this is the really cool thing that I learned. This is really, really, really cool. The word submission. The word submission, and we hear this, right? Women and men are equals, but the women, the wife will submit to her husband. And I think, you know, we've heard that and we believe that. I totally believe that we believe we are equal in God's sight. And amen to that. The word submission means that you have an equal willingly putting herself, in the case of marriage, under the authority of another equal. Okay, we believe that. What's, what I learned that was really interesting is that in Philippians 2, you know where it talks about that, that Jesus made himself nothing? That's a different word. That's the same word that refers to children must obey their parents. Children are not equals. They must obey. They are not willingly putting themselves under the authority. <laughs> and so I, I, thought, I thought that was really interesting that such a, that is such a distinction. Jesus made himself nothing. He 
It wasn't like, okay, God, you and I are equals, but I am willingly choosing to put myself under your authority. Uh-uh. He made himself nothing. He made himself, he literally just emptied himself of all rights. That's not what God calls submission in a marriage. He says, you're an equal, he's an equal, but he's the leader. So women, sisters, wives, we, we need to understand respect in that context. This is not a weak concept. This is not an inferior concept. After all, the church submits to God. Is the church this inferior, wimpy being? No, the church is powerful and awesome. So this is a, this, so now we're supposed to be fired up about respecting, okay? All right? Now we need to be fired up because this is awesome and powerful and courageous and, 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 and divine. Okay, so those were the principles. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a few practicals. And let's remember, and this is really important, that respect for our husbands comes because of submission to Christ. We read that in Ephesians 5.21. Not because our husbands always deserve our respect. We do this for God. There will be times, dare I say, that they're really not acting in ways that one would say they deserve our respect. But it's not about that they deserve it. It is about our submission to Christ. Um, I will certainly say that this is not natural for me. I am a New Yorker. I was raised in a family of lawyers and judges. I remember as early as, oh, maybe I was four, the way my father talked to me. I mean, even if I said, I don't really like peas, he would say, was your opinion solicited? That's how, that, seriously, that's how my father talked to me. So I was trained to win arguments. My father is blind, completely blind, and he's a lawyer. So as a child, you know, what I did, my chores were to help him read, help him re review and, and rewrite his legal briefs. That was my job. So I'm trained to win arguments. <laughs> and then I got a degree in it. So this is not natural for me. Um, but, you know, and again, the we, this is, forget all of this if we're not close to God. I mean, forget it. I feel like we have to even start by raising our hand. How are our quiet times? That's what this is about. It is not possible. It, in fact, I struggled. The biggest obstacle to my becoming a Christian was this. I was a student at Harvard Law School. I did not get this. It really was hard for me. So, but I embrace it now because I really believe it's God's plan. And I have to say, nowhere in the Bible does God teach women to bury their talents. That is not what this is about. And we need to hear that wise. And our, and our husbands, maybe they heard that from you. 
somewhere. Um, it doesn't mean that the men make all the decisions unilaterally, because if they are loving their wives, and if they are as smart as we are telling them they are, then they're going to consult us, right? When it's stuff that we know. So, anyway, we, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're not, and we're not, told, we're not told that we need to feel respect. We don't always feel it. We are told we need to demonstrate respectful behaviors, right? And that does take faith. And, and we, you know, it's like God said, uh, John said, oh, God, it's like God said. <laughs> see? You see what goes on in our house? You see? But, you know, it's like, it's like John said, that this is a really great training ground for us to get to heaven because it does take a lot of faith. With the best of husbands, to, to not talk back, to not criticize, to not nag. We, I mean, we are just, look at the difference between little boys and little girls. I mean, little five-year-old girls, they're already at it. The boys are just happy. So having to, having to do this requires us women to really have to seek God and pray and, and, and obey and trust, and it, it will help us to get to heaven. I mean, I really, really believe that. So, you know, and it really ought to make sense that no husband is, is going to love someone who he feels like has contempt for him. I mean, we totally cut off our noses to spite our faces when we disrespect our husbands and nag and whine and manipulate and, oh, yeah, and now love me. You don't love me. And, you know, and then we, and then we say, well, but I, I wasn't nagging. I was just informing. <laughs> and I wasn't criticizing. I'm just helping. Now love me. And, you know, I'm sh you know, I really am sure, I know for myself, I am sure I do not realize how much I disrespect my husband, just naturally. I'm sure. I, I am sure I don't realize how I roll my eyes. I must have done it because somewhere my, my daughter learned it. Um, so... You know, this is something we really, really have to take seriously. And anyway, okay, so wh how do we do it? We run and through and do it. Okay. Um, okay, the first thing, I th we really have to try to look at our husbands the way that God sees them and look at their desires and not their performance. And what do I mean by that? You know, we, I really believe that probably 99.9%, .9%, if not 100% of our husbands in this room are good-willed men. They have good will. They do not desire to hurt us. They do not desire to be unloving. And we need to give them that benefit 
of the doubt. That, I mean, that right there, they're, they're trying. We could maybe help them instead of counterattacking. I am a counterattacker, absolutely. For those of you who are counterattackers, I want to teach you a brand new response to when your husband uh, is insensitive or unloving. And it's simply this. That felt unloving. Did I just now come across as disrespectful? Now, I'm not, I'm actually serious. What would our interactions be like if instead of, you know, our husband does something unloving or something ins insensitive and we, well, you know, well, you, or well, you know, and we, that's the, the, that's the, the sinful nature response, right? If instead of that, we just say, you know, I, I bet he really didn't intend to be unloving. I wonder if I did something disrespectful. If I did, I really, because I'm a Christian, I, I should want to know and, and repent. And if I didn't, then maybe he will realize. So instead of my counterattacking, I'm just going to say, wow, you know, that, that felt unloving. Did I do something that was disrespectful? How would that change our marriages? Now, how could we say that sentence? We better have had major quiet time. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, but, that's, but, that, but that is key. We will not do that if we are not strong with God. Okay, secondly, we have to actually verbalize our respect and honor. You know, it's not one of these like, on our wedding day, I respect you, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. It's not like that. They really need to be told. You know, I, I value how you try to lead our family. I value how you love our children. I value and respect how you go to work every day to provide for our family. You know, not taking for granted the things that he does. He wants to talk about his work. Do we listen, or can we not wait to tell a talk about the kids or, or something. They, you know, are we, are we really verbalizing? Are we really listening? How about really looking for what is good? Now, it might be 2%, but there is some good in some decision he made. And instead of going to the, what? You know, gee, you know, I really appreciate that you thought about that hair, I mean, that, that idea. No, but, I, but in all seriousness, I read something that says, treat him like a winner at home and he'll want to be there more often. That's a good one. You know, it is ironic, isn't it, that some of our husbands have these really great jobs. They get a lot of respect at work. They're managing, they're creating, they're leading, they're organizing, they're developing. And they come home and... They, they feel like they, they can't do anything right. You know, I think something really, really important that we have to realize, and we know this, every, pretty much, every weakness has a, an opposite strength, you know? And I think that what we really need to do is look for that opposite strength in the weaknesses that we tend to focus on. Because it's there. For example, so I am a little bit overbearing and on top of things. And sometimes, 
And I asked John on the way here, I said, honey, tell me what it is. How do you feel like my, you know, I mainly show you disrespect? And he said, well, okay, to be honest, I think it's when, in, when you want me to parent the way you think I should parent and you don't allow me to parent the way I think I should parent. That is probably the greatest way you show me disrespect. And I appreciated him saying that in a nice way. And, and I do. I mean, I, I, I am the anxious one. I'm the heavy one. I am the, you know, overbearing one. I, I am. But there are times that in, in our life that I have felt like he was too lenient. And so that's the, that's the weakness. And, I, and I, if I f focus on it, then, it's, then it becomes a weakness. Well, it's funny because the thing I most appreciate about John is how lighthearted he is. And how when there is tension in the family, which I probably created, <laughs> by criticizing him for being too lenient, he knows how to kind of lighten things up and how to get through to our daughter, who is the more like me in the family. And, you know, he really has a great way with her. And... You know, and I appreciate that about him. So I, I think if we can think, right, you know, I would never do this in a marriage class, but write down the 10 things you least like about your husband and then d do the flip side and, and focus on, on that. Uh, we need to respond positively to our husband's leadership, um, you know, and not be his Holy Spirit. And, you know, I, we, we um, you know how the book talks about love languages? I think in the same way that the, that the husbands should study us, we, we need to figure out their respect languages. Because we, respect has to be in a way meaningful to them. It, you know, in the same way that love, you know, John, really, he could buy me a dozen roses, and I, that just, I, that would be nice but I wouldn't care. But if he rubs my feet while we're watching reruns of 24, I mean, I am, there is nothing I like more. So, but in the same way, respect. So now I'll give you a little insight into him, and I, I know I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna fly through this, but he, he, he does not care about hair, makeup, nails, shoes, I am so grateful because I don't care about those things either. Um, so if I get a haircut, he never notices. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. He just, well, I don't really change my hair all that much anyway. But, you know, he, that is just not what he cares about. What he cares about is that the house be clean, that there be nice, healthy meals, and that I be available for him because he really likes to bounce ideas off of me. So if I spent my time, oh, I'm so sorry, dinner's not on the table, and I don't have time to talk with you about your sermon, but I did get my nails done, I, I did get highlights, and don't I look beautiful for you, that would not really be respecting him. So, so, but, but think about it. We might be investing a lot of time and energy into really, like, I really want to please him, and I really want to show him that I care, 
Well, but if we're not, you know, taking the time to really study, okay, well, how does he really, what, what demonstrates respect to him? You know, we, so, okay, thank you, good, Segway. All right, so all I want to say, all I want to say, I do want to close on, on saying on a, on a little bit of a serious note that submission and respect do not imply or do not equal passivity, okay? I really think for us to have great marriages, we, we, do, we do need intimacy. We do need to, we don't need to be our husband's Holy Spirit, but we do need to uh, be able to gently and respectfully speak the truth in love. Th those two are not mutually exclusive. And I think that our husbands appreciate honest communication if we do it in a loving way. But, um, okay, well, what happens if we feel like this is not working? We need to keep at it. And we, then we get to glorify God longer because ultimately what we really, what needs to bring us our deepest sense of satisfaction is that we are obeying God, that we are doing things God's way and, and that we are holding on to our faith. So I, re I hope that this was helpful, and um, I hope that we can really work on making our marriages shine.